Well, good morning and welcome to the sleep-in service one more time. Just glad that you are here. I haven't met you again. My name is Grant. You know, there's just something beautiful when someone shows up in your life and says, thank you. Just thank you. Gratitude, I believe, is just one of the most beautiful aspects of being a human being. And this weekend, we're going to start with a thank you to you from Belize. In just a few moments, you're going to meet Karen. Karen is changing the world because she is the primary leader of the very first restoration home that you funded last year with your generous missions offering. DJ and Dorothy Van Weerdhuizen had an opportunity to travel with us to Belize. Dorothy actually serves on our missions committee. They got to see the first home that you funded live and in person. And they captured a small moment that we're showing with permission this weekend. I've said multiple times over this journey, we have to be very careful because of safety issues with people who are fighting human trafficking. We have to be just very careful what level of exposure we give them, but we had an opportunity to share just a small little clip. It's about 57 seconds long, so you're going to have to watch and listen closely. There's a lot of fan noise in the back because it's hot in Belize. And so listen closely as Karen says thank you to her family here at Christ the King. Let's watch this together. Hi, everybody. Hello, everybody. Hey, Christ the King. Hey, Grant, Laurel. Uh, go ahead. Well, I'm here with DJ, and I've been able to show them the compound, what we have been doing, what the Lord leads us to open this shelter so we can help our Venetian young girls. I'm very, very happy and pleased that you guys have put in your money. In Belize, we say you put your money where your mouth is. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure that we will be giving you guys updates as we go along and for you guys to see what we have been doing here. And also, I just want everybody to know, She's the real deal. She's the real deal. The, the amount of accomplishment she's doing with our funds that we've given is more than you could possibly imagine. It's a true humble, humbling and honor to be sitting here right now. I love those last little words. Thank you. Thank you. I have been praying for ways to express why this year's project, the Global Ambassador Opportunity, and your support of it is so unbelievably important. And I think we were able to capture the words on Thursday. So we had a series of me or a meeting on Thursday that you, many of you were praying for. I'm so grateful. We were meeting again with partners who are on the front lines of the battle against human trafficking in Belize. The result of those meetings is that because of your generosity last year, we not only were able to fully fund the first home, but we're going to be able to help purchase a second home for little children that have been sexually exploited in Belize and are now finding healing in Jesus. So God has opened a door for us to fund this second home, and I don't know about you, but I think the only thing better than one restoration home is two restoration homes, and I'm so grateful that you cared in that way. But in that conversation, our new partner in Belize used these words. He said, you are with me. Like you're with me. And that's the heart of this year's missions offering. We want to be with our partners. I mean, truly, truly with them. So if God prompts you to practically love our hero global partners, the partners that God selected and put in our lives, I want to encourage you to send real hands to hold their hands when they need to pray. Send real arms to hug them when they feel like giving up and real feet to walk with them as they continue to change the world for Jesus. Brian and Tracy, our global ambassadors, are not only gonna build a bridge to our partners, but they're gonna personally walk you over that bridge. 
And you can be a part of it right now by giving a CTK, give.ctk.church under the banner of 2022 missions offering. I just know when God's family steps up and sacrifices, God does beautiful, incredible things. Okay, deep breath and a hard left turn into the message this weekend. So I read a story about a man who purchased a 100,000 volt pocket taser gun for his wife for their anniversary. That's a real husband gift right there, right? He'd read the packaging and he was enjoying the promise that if anyone ever broke into their home, that his wife would be able to stick the assailant with the taser, depress a small plastic button for a single second, and that assailant would be transformed into a slobbering, googly-eyed, muscle-twitching puddle. The loving husband brought the tiny little instrument home, and as soon as he walked through the door, he began to think bad things. He eyed his cat. And then he thought, nah, I better not do that. Then he tried the taser on a small piece of metal. And the arcing current was like, oh, really cool. Those are sparks. And then finally he made a decision, and I quote from his story. So I sat there in a pair of shorts and a tank top with my reading glasses perched delicately on the bridge of my nose, directions in one hand, taser in the other. The direction said that a one-second burst would shock and disorient your assailant. A two-second burst would cause a complete loss of bodily control. A three-second burst would purportedly make your assailant flop on the ground like a piece of sizzling bacon. He continues and says, all the while, I'm looking at this tiny little device measuring less than five inches long, less than three-quarters of an inch in circumference. He said, it actually looked quite cute, really, and it was loaded with two itsy-bitsy AAA batteries. And he thought to himself... There's just no way. So sitting there alone, his cat looked on as if to say, don't do it, buddy. (laughs) And he reasoned that a one-second burst from this tiny little old thing couldn't possibly hurt that bad. Can I interrupt his story for just a second? A bad decision is like hindsight, right? It's 2020. It's so obvious it's a bad decision after the fact, but in the moment, it just seems so right. The story continues. So I touched the prongs to my leg (laughs) and I pushed the button. I vaguely recall waking up on my side in a fetal position, soaking wet with my left arm tucked under my body in the oddest position. The cat was standing on my chest over over top of me, thinking the look on on her face saying, do it again, do it again. (laughs) He concludes, if you've ever felt compelled to mug yourself with a taser, one note of caution. There's no such thing as a one second burst when you zap yourself. You're not gonna let go of that thing until it's dislodged from your hand by the violent thrashing of your body on the floor. It's just one decision, right? Should I tase myself or not? Should I go this way or that way? Should I quit my job or continue? Should I speak up or be silent? Should I tell the truth or should I lie? Should I become passive or be involved? Should I step around a situation and just mind my own business or should I step in? Should I do this or should I do that? Our world is full of decisions and we all know one decision has the power to change the course and direction of our lives in an instant because decisions they push us. Sometimes decisions plague us. You're deciding right now whether or not you're going to listen to me for the next couple of minutes, or not. I've decided to trust God with this message 
and boldly proclaim the truth instead of just watering it down and tickling your ears. Every decision that we make actually matters. And in 1 Samuel 23, David has a lot of decisions to make. King David is in trouble. King Saul has been chasing him around the countryside trying to kill him. Some men have fallen in with David and now he feels the weight of responsibility for each of them. An unfriendly group of people known as the Philistines haven't forgotten about what David did to Goliath and so they're out causing trouble too and David is tired and frustrated and it's about to get worse because a whole series of decisions are coming his way. For Samuel 23, the Bible says this. When David was told, look, the Philistines are fighting against Kyla. Kyla was a little tiny town. Think Everson or Nooksack, okay? Look, the Philistines are fighting against Kyla and are looting the threshing floors. He inquired of the Lord saying, shall I go and attack these Philistines? The Lord answered him, go attack the Philistines and save Kyla. But David's men said to him, here in Judah, we're afraid. How much more than if we go to Kyla against the Philistine forces? Can we stop there for just a second? We have to just stop this because isn't that just the way our human brains work, right? Why do we have to go and look after this town? We don't live there. It's not our problem. It's so easy to get focused on our own backyard and our own problems and our own issues. They say it right out there. Here in Judah, we got enough problems of our own. David, don't go pick a fight with the Philistines. Some of you are saying, Grant, why are we talking about this global stuff? We got enough problems right here in our own backyard. This is why we're talking about it. When we get so focused, so myopic on our own backyard, we completely miss God's heart for all people every single time. Let me remind you what God said to us a couple of weeks ago when we were looking at the Great Commission. He said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Modern context, you will be my witnesses in Whatcom County, Washington State, the United States of America, and to every corner of the globe. Do you have to look after your own backyard? Absolutely, but don't get stuck there. David's men got stuck there. And I'm so thankful there was a godly leader in David who said, guys, you need to think bigger. Verse four, once again, David inquired of the Lord and the Lord answered him, go down to Kilah for I'm going to give the Philistines into your hand. So David and his men went to Kilah, fought the Philistines, carried off their livestock. He inflicted heavy losses on the Philistines and saved the people of Kilah. Saul, remember, he's the guy that's chasing David all over the place, trying to kill him. Saul was told that David had gone to Kyla, and he said, God has handed him over to me, for David has imprisoned himself by entering a town with gates and bars. Saul called up all of his forces for battle to go down to Kyla to besiege David and his men. When David learned that Saul was plotting against him, he said to Abiathar the priest, bring the ephod. Let's stop there for just a second. The ephod was a priestly garment that Abiathar the priest would put on. And when they put on the priestly garment, its primary role was to help them hear God differently and personally. They were asking direct questions and they were expecting direct answers. I don't put on an ephod when I want to hear God. You want to know what I do when I hear God? When I want to hear God, this is what I do. I grab my Bible. I go to a room in our house called the Jesus Room. And if I really want to hear God, I make sure that Laurel is there. Because together, we seek God 
And God answers. Bring the ephod. Verse 10. David said, O Lord God of Israel, your servant has heard definitely that Saul plans to come to Kilah and destroy the town on account of me. Will the citizens of Kilah surrender me to him? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord God of Israel, tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will. Again, David asked, will the citizens of Kilah surrender me and my men to Saul? And the Lord said, they will. So David and his men, about 600 in number, left Kilah and kept moving from place to place. When Saul was told that David had escaped from Kilah, he didn't go there. David stayed in the desert strongholds and in the hills of the desert of Ziph. Day after day, Saul searched for him, but God did not give David into his hands. Oh, there's a lot in here. You could do a whole series on this story all by itself. David had a decision to make. Should I get involved and then save this tiny little insignificant town or not? And in this story, we're going to find some amazing truths about the decisions that we have to make every single day. Here's what I know. Sunday afternoon, Sunday night, Monday morning, you're going to be besieged with decisions. And every decision you make will have an effect on your Life. So here's some truth about the decisions that we all have to share in. Number one, godly decisions will force you to examine your priorities. They will force you to examine your priorities. So let me ask you some very blunt, non-rhetorical questions. Do you really care about all people? Would you be willing to lay down some of your blessing in order to bless others, even if you have never met them before? Would you be willing to make a sacrifice so that someone else could flourish? David challenged his men, don't just get stuck in your backyard, think bigger. He challenged his men to think and live beyond themselves so they could be obedient to God and his plan. And it was that call to sacrifice that actually saved this little town. We're going to make decisions in the next week about whether or not we actually care about the things that God cares about. God is continuously calling his children into a life of sacrifice. And out of sacrifice always comes blessing. So years ago in the Olympics, a story went virtually unnoticed until after the games were over. Michael Phelps, an American swimmer, had already run five gold medals in the 2004 Athens Olympics. And he seemed certain to secure one more in the 4x400 medley relay. What people didn't know is that Phelps' teammate, Ian Crocker, he'd not been so fortunate. Ian had trained his entire life for those Olympics, and the week before he was supposed to swim, he got the flu. It appeared like, because of his subpar performance, because he'd been sick, that Crocker would go home without a medal until Michael Phelps made a decision. He actually made the decision to give away his spot on the, re- on the medley relay team to Ian Crocker. With that motivation, because of the sacrifice of Michael Phelps, Crocker swam his heart out and helped his team shatter a record winning the gold medal. People heard about the story afterwards and, and it was amazing to me because Phelps had so much to gain, more notoriety, more endorsements, more fame, but instead of settling for that, he chose a better way, a way that looked not to himself but to the needs of others. If you are a follower of Jesus today, 
God says that we're not to look for the needs of ourselves. We are to be perpetually looking towards the needs of others. It was the power of one decision that changed not only Ian Crocker's life, it changed Michael Phelps' life too. Godly decisions will cause you, force you to check your priorities. Number two, godly decisions will demand a godly inquiry. I tell you what, if there's an area of my life where I feel like I've been growing, it's right here because I'm learning something. I'm learning that God is my father, loves to answer me when I ask direct questions. I've been doing a survey of the Old Testament. I found so many examples when people, just like us, they come to God, they ask a direct question, and they actually get a direct answer. Well, if God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, it means that every one of us can walk into the throne room of our Heavenly Father, ask a direct question, and actually get an answer. It might sound like this. God, do you want me to change careers? And then you wait and you expect an answer. And if there doesn't seem to be an answer, you don't take matters into your own hands. No, you come back and ask again. You press in deeper. You ask a more specific question. You inquire of God because over and over in Scripture, God says, I love it when my kids do that. You know, it's interesting when when my kids ask me a question, if we're sitting face to face, I never just sit there and stare at them in silence. Like when Brayden and McKenna show up and just like, you know, dad, could, could you answer a question for me? After they're done asking the question, I never just respond by staring at them. Don't do that. Sometimes I say, I don't know the answer to your question but I never don't answer. Well, God is a father with an even greater heart for his children, and here's the cool thing. He's God. He has all the answers. So my question is always, why do we struggle with this so much? Here's why I believe we struggle with this. I think we're afraid to ask. I think we're even more afraid of the answer. And I think we often leave way too soon because we're just so busy. David asked a question about Kyla twice. He asks other questions. God, should I go and help Kyla? God answered yes. And then he went to help. And there's lessons even in that. God doesn't expect you to be the answer to everybody's question or everybody's problem. He doesn't expect you to be the savior of the world. In case you're wondering, Jesus already has the save the world job description completely covered. He just expects you to care and be available. It's like, Grant, what does God expect of you? To care and be available. And I know some of you are just like, Grant, you just don't know what my life is like. I'm just really, really like, I, I'm, I'm really busy. Guess what? David had a lot on his plate too. He was busy trying to save his own neck. He was trying to save the lives of the 600 guys that had fallen in with him. He had things to do, places to go, and emergency rooms to avoid. I mean, he was busy doing really important things, and then God threw a need right in front of him. And the reality is, it wasn't his need. He didn't even know these people. He didn't live in Kyla. It wasn't his problem, which created a problem because David was a man after God's own heart, which means he cared about what God cared about. He cared about the people God cared about. And apparently God was really interested in saving a whole city. 
I also love this aspect of the story. Even though David was a man after God's own heart, he didn't just jump in and save the day. No, he did something else first. He asked God exactly what he should do. Let me ask you a question. How much did you consult God about your spring schedule? Did you ask him what you should be involved in or not involved in? Or did you just plan it out? Have you allowed your understanding of his priorities to permeate what you do and when you do it? David's example here is so beautiful. He checks and double checks and he just keeps coming back. Why? Because every decision matters. Number three, godly decisions always encounter opposition. I mean, David goes to God, God tells him what to do, he comes back and where's the first line of opposition? With his own men. You know why they were afraid or why, why they were, were questioning his decision? It's because they were afraid. They're being pursued by the armies of King Saul and now their leader wants to go pick a fight with the Philistines. So he experiences opposition from his own ranks. Let me tell you, when you make godly decisions, there will be opposition. There will be pressure to not follow through. And opposition can come from so many different angles. It can come from a busy schedule, battling priorities, distraction from the enemy. But mostly the opposition comes from the dialogue inside our own head. We need to expect opposition every time we make a godly decision. Pastor Jim Scobie was the first pastor I served under when I was a youth pastor back in the days in Steinbeck, Manitoba. And I remember after one weekend, we did a high school retreat, took a whole bunch of high school kids up to a Red Rock Bible camp and a bunch of high school kids got saved and it was just really, really cool. And I came back, I was just flying. I'm like, this is amazing. And the next week was total bad stuff. <laughs> Some of you were like, Ugh. <laughs> I couldn't understand how we could go from such an amazing experience down to just like the worst week. It just felt like the worst week. And I was sitting in my office at the end of the week and Pastor Jim, who was this tiny little Scotsman with this beautiful accent, like he sounded just like God does. I mean, and he, and he walked into walked into my office and I'll remember him just saying, he goes, Grant, like, Grant, when, whenever you kick the darkness, you better expect to get kicked back. When you lay out a godly vision, expect opposition. When you chart a godly course, expect opposition. When you stand your ground based on the word of God and godly principles, expect opposition. And instead of thinking, I must be doing something wrong, take the opposition as a compliment because sometimes opposition means you're going exactly in the direction God wants you to go. Amen. Step up in that moment. Number four, godly decisions are rarely easy or convenient. 1738, a group of people off the coast of Nantucket Island got really sick and tired of watching people die within sight of the shore. They formed the original Humane Society. Nowadays, the Humane Society looks after pets. When they started, they looked after people. They formed this society and they started building these little tiny huts up and down the Nantucket coast. The little huts contained a boat, two oars, some life-saving devices, and 10 warm blankets. And with those meager supplies and a willing heart, they started saving lives. Their mission was simple. If a ship was in trouble, they'd run to the hut, get in the boat, 
and row. If you read their journal entry, some of them said it was as if I was compelled, like I didn't even have a choice. When I saw people losing their lives, I had to save someone. And I loved their motto. It was emblazoned over top of many of the huts of refuge door. Their motto of the original Humane Society was this. You have to go out. You don't have to come back. Think about that. You have to go out and try and save somebody. You just might not come back. Kyla was dying. David got his green light and he went. David's decision wasn't easy, but it was the right and godly decision. That's a great question as you make decisions. Is this easy or is it right? Because I'll tell you something. God will make a right decision great every single time. Number five, godly decisions will expose you to disappointment. And I want you to just, if you're following along in your notes, I want you to add a little word before disappointment. Add the word initial. If you read the story, it's a little bit heartbreaking. I mean, David inquires of God two different times. Should I go and save this little town from the Philistines? God says yes. So they go and do it. And then when he saves the town, he's hanging around afterwards and he goes, God, um... I have another question. Is Saul going to try and find me here and kill me? And God's answer is, yeah, he will. And then David asks another question. God, the people that I just saved, if I'm still here when Saul shows up, are they going to turn me over to him? And God says, yeah, they will. Really? Really? I just made the right, good, and godly choice, and now the people that I saved are gonna throw me to the wolves. I think the only thing that kept going is that in response to that, God would have said, yeah, David, they're gonna throw you to the wolves, but I'm gonna take care of the wolves for you because you still made the right decision. And they may choose wrongly, but I will choose rightly every single time. And David, you picked wisely, so I've got your back. This is a difficult truth, but it's still tough. Some of you may face a scenario like this. Somebody in this room might be working this week, and your boss is going to come up to you and say, hey, do you have this specific set of abilities? Because if you do, we might have a promotion for you, and you're going to have to choose. You're going to have to choose because let's just say you don't have those skills and abilities. You could choose to tell the truth and lose the promotion. But you'll still have chosen rightly. Some of you are in the room. You're going to make the godly choice this week to bid a job accurately and honestly. And the truth is you might still lose it to an unrealistically low competitor. But God will still know you chose rightly. Parents, you're going to make the decision this week. You're going to parent your child the very best way you know how. You're going to try to save them from pain that you see coming. And the truth is, some of you are going to get this for a thank you. You're the worst parent in the world, and I hate you. (laughs) But you will still have chosen the right decision. Some of you are going to be forced or have an opportunity to see a friend who's blowing their life up in a thousand different directions and and you're going to summon up the courage to go and confront them as much as you can in love and in spite of your best effort, they're still going to twist your intent and make you out to be the bad guy. 
but God will still know your heart. See, David saves Kyla, and at the end of the story, his enemy's still chasing him. He makes the right decision. There's still a tough outcome. Let's be honest. Sometimes the godly decision is the toughest decision you ever make because all you have to hold on to is the simple promise that God says, I will both see and honor your effort. People might not see it, but I see it. I see you, David. You did everything I asked you to do. Well done. Number six, let's wrap this up. Godly decisions are accompanied with God's protection. When we think about it, David placed himself at, at high personal risk to save Kyla. When you make a godly decision, God will always provide a covering for you. And that covering always comes with wisdom and discernment and sometimes even resources. I've learned this in my own life. When God asks you to do something, he also provides his supernatural support to get the job done. The last line of the story is just so unbelievably beautiful. It says, and Saul pursued David all over the country, but God saved him time after time after time. Now, some of you are here this morning and some of you are watching online and you've got some big decisions to make this week. And you're thinking, do I I take the easy way or do I take the godly way? Some of you are making decisions about anger. Are you going to hang on to that anger and let let it burn down deep in your soul until it becomes bitterness? Or are you going to be, at times, rightfully angry, surrender it to God and say, God, you just have to take care of this for me. The Bible actually says we're supposed to leave room for God's wrath. Which means there are times when I just say, God, I'm not going to be angry. I'm going to let you be angry. Because <laughs> you said vengeance is yours, not mine. So I'm going to hand it over. Because apparently if I get a hold of vengeance and anger, it doesn't go well for anybody. So I'm going to let you take care of this one. I'm going to trust you to have my back. Some of you are making decisions about forgiveness. I had such a beautiful conversation last night after the Saturday service because I had been talking about forgiveness. The Bible simply says to God's followers, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And in a moment, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to ask ask God a question. And I got to talk to a couple last night and she said, Grant, I asked God the question, should I forgive so-and-so? And she said, the answer came back, yes. I already knew the answer. I just didn't want to do it. Some of you are making decisions about forgiveness. Some of you are making decisions about sobriety. You're wondering, should I choose clean and sober for for one more day? The answer is yes. And we're cheering for you. We're cheering for you. And God is for you. Some of you are making decisions about morality and purity and involvement and and commitment. As you make your decision, I want to quote Pastor Jim one more time. He used to say this to me often. Grant, stay undercover. Every time you make a godly decision, the God of the universe will paint a covering over top of you. That's why he says, I'm your refuge. I'm your rock. I'm your fortress. Come to me, I will cover you. You know, there's so many decisions to make. In case you're wondering, we think the greatest decision, no, I shouldn't say we think. We know the greatest decision you can ever make is to give your heart to Jesus. 
Let's try that again. For all those of you in the room who know that this is the greatest decision you've ever made, but we believe that the greatest decision you could ever make is to give your heart to Jesus. There we go. Thank you. (laughs) There's no greater decision than that decision. You'll also hear us say this a lot. The power to act is never released until a decision is made. My friend last night, I I knew the answer. I just didn't want to do it. Some of you today, this is your moment right now and you're using two of the most powerful words in the English language. I will. I will give my heart to Jesus today. Best decision you could ever make. Some of you are going to be saying, I will get baptized two weeks after Easter. Some of you are saying, I will. I will make a sacrifice and support this year's missions offering. I may never get to meet the people of Kyla on the other side of the world, but I want to help. Can I give you some more good news? A couple of years ago, you built a community center in Catania, in Sicily. Right now, it's full of Ukrainian refugees who just needed somebody to care. The beautiful, right? I will sign up for a small group. I will ask God questions and then sit quietly expecting answers. I will serve on Easter. I will show up in person on Easter. I will decide to invite a friend or a coworker or someone to come and hear the message of Jesus on Easter. I will. Every decision. And every decision you make this week comes with a promise because that last one you know I will I will seek God directly this is God speaking not me call upon me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things that you can't even comprehend did you hear that God said call upon me and I will answer you and I will show you things that will blow your mind As you make decisions this week, choose wisely. Choose godly, choose Jesus. Choose wisely, choose godly, choose Jesus. I'm gonna say that again. Choose wisely, choose godly, choose Jesus. So I'd like to give you a moment to actually practice. So here's what we're gonna do. I know many of you have a question in your mind right now. Maybe you've been asking it for a long time. If it is, ask again. David just kept coming back. God, do you want me to do this or not? God, do you want me to do this or not? I'd like to get out of the way for just a moment and allow you to pray to God and ask your question to him. And then we're just gonna sit in silence for 60 whole seconds. I know for some of us that's hard, right? We're like 60 seconds, where's my phone? It's 60 seconds. So that you can ask God a direct question and then sit quietly. What comes first and what comes fast and lines up with scripture, that's God. So let's do it together right now. Let's bow our heads. Let's focus. And whatever question is burning on your heart today to ask God, ask him right now and then let's sit quietly in his presence expect an answer.
Father God, for my brothers and sisters who received an answer, I pray that they would act on it. For those who did not receive an answer in this moment, I pray that they would come back again. And again, and again, and again. Lord, for my brothers and sisters who already knew the answer but just got confirmation, I pray that they would act on it. Because God, we want to be like David. We want to care about people we don't know. We want to sacrifice for the sake of every corner of the world hearing about you. God, as we make decisions this week, may they be wise, godly, all about Jesus. We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, amen.